Welcome back to Crazy Face Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. Hey, we're so glad that you're back, Sarah. It's great to have you around our table Yay. again. We are, we are not only glad that uh, things are all dried out in your world after the remnants of a hurricane passed over the place where you live, uh, but that you're able to join us again. And we are so excited that we decided to start a brand new series on our podcast to celebrate. Oh, good. I'm really excited for this series, so I'm happy to be here. I think this will be good. And uh, so to to, to tell us where we're headed, our our last series was sort of an an exploration of the more out there, more esoteric, more weird, lesser known Bible stories, which is a fun thing to do. Um, But we thought maybe it would be helpful for us to swing back in the other direction and say, okay, so you maybe never heard the story of the time that there was a multi-shipwreck, or maybe you never heard the time of uh, the Witch of Endor. But what are some of the essential things that are at the heart of uh, the Christian faith? And so we're going to be calling this series Christianity 101. Um, And I guess to lay the parameters, we realize just the three of us don't get to speak for all Christians everywhere, but we're going to try and paint with a pretty broad brush to look at what are some things that are pretty broadly common, not just across Christianity in the year 2021, but looking back over the last 20 centuries, what are some things that we would say are at the heart of this faith of ours or this way of life of ours? Um, And then we can take a look at how different branches of the Christian family tree talk about these areas or topics differently over time, but that's where we're at. So if, if you feel like I'd be interested and, and re, re-examining what, what's at the heart of our faith. What, what are the intro things to Christianity? This is where we're headed in this series. And how, how do we want to get things started, Sarah? So we figured that the very first question that we should ask ourselves is, well, who is God? <laughs> because I think that there are a variety of ways that people in the past have answered this question before. Yeah. Um, I remember way back when we were talking about our favorite like fiction books or media or something like that. And Steve brought to the table um, American Gods by um, Mm -hmm. uh, Neil Gaiman. Gaiman? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And basically in that world, if somebody believes in a God, that God sort of physically manifests in the world And there is a scene where there are like a multitude of Jesuses. Yeah, in the TV show, yeah. Yeah, because there are so many different ways that people view and use Jesus or God to their own agenda. Um, So I think it's a a fairly fair question to start off with, well, who is this God that we say that we believe in? Um, You know, who is God? What is God? Yeah. So that's where we thought we would start off today is just who is God? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that we're willing to start with something that maybe seems obvious, but also seems like if, if we're not clear, at least in some sense about what we think we mean by this word God, we may proceed on very, very different conversations, not just the three of us, but anybody who claims to be, you know, a, a person of faith in whatever way, that if we've got a very different starting point about how we describe or think about who or what God is, we're going to end up in very, very different places very quickly. Um, and then wondering, what, why don't we all agree? We're all talking about we believe in God. Well, we're starting from, from maybe some very different points. 
I'm, I'm remembering um, there's this scene in that classic movie, The Agony and the Ecstasy, which is uh, a movie retelling of um, Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel. Um, and I'm thinking uh, that it it uh, is Charlton Heston who plays Michelangelo. I'm not certain about that. So like, you know, Planet of the Apes, Pry My Gun for My Cold Dead Hand, that Charlton Heston is Michelangelo. That That's a stretch to begin. But there's a scene I, I recall where... Um, the Pope is looking at him as he's painting that image that most people are familiar with of uh, God and Adam, the creation of, of Adam. And you can see the edge of God's finger touching the edge of Adam's finger. You know, that's been, you know, done and redone and all sorts of variations over history. And they have this conversation uh, where the Pope says something like, is that really how you picture God that close? And I've never really thought of that image as suggesting God being particularly close. God looks kind of angry and reclining to me. But but in the scene, they're like, wow, I never." The, here's the Pope, at least in this movie, saying, I never thought about God as someone who was that close who could, you know, reach out and touch us. And it's it, it, just that conversation in the movie makes me think, wow, we sometimes assume that we're all starting with the same default definition of what God is like or who God is. And sometimes uh, we, we, we assume that, and it turns out we we're talking, we're starting from very different starting places, I guess. I was having a conversation just a week ago with a colleague who was talking about how you can learn a lot about a person and how they view how close God is to us by how they address God in prayer. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. people who tend to exclusively say, Oh, father in heaven or God in heaven, or, um, you know, versus, you know, loving God, comforting God, gracious God, you know, those are assuming a lot about where God is in relation to us. Like is God active in our lives or is Or is it more similar to the founding fathers of America who believed that God is like the clockmaker who winds up the clock, the world, and then takes a step back and just watches? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, how active, how near is God to us? Yeah. And maybe that's a good place for us to... to start just just to, to move the conversation anywhere is when when we start the conversation about who is God, maybe we should even back up and go... Do does Christianity classically say that God is a who or a what? Um, and to say mm-hmm. that there are different ways that other faith traditions, both real and fictional, talk about whatever they think they're. I mean, maybe maybe we could say the most generic is that higher power kind of language. Like on the one end, you've got like the sort of Star Wars, the Force. You know, like that's an it. The the Force. Nobody ever says the Force loves me. The Force is looking out for me. You know, the Force is a force. And maybe similarly, sometimes you'll hear people in pop culture these days talk about the universe doing something. You know, the uh, the universe gave me a good parking spot today. That the the universe is sort of a helpful way of imagining something that is out there that is bigger than me, but isn't a who, but remains a what. Um, And then there's sort of a middle category that you were kind of given a a nod toward um, that sort of cosmic clockmaker image that uh, that I guess was fashionable in in the mode of thinking called deism in like enlightenment, Western Europe kind of thinking that, that again, a lot of the founding fathers of the United States sort of held to of there's a someone but he's not a real involved someone uh and this someone made the universe wound it up and then sort of says go you're on your own i'm doing something else now and then i think it's probably fair to say classic christianity 
uh, drawing on certainly the way ancient Israel in the Hebrew scriptures conceives of God is something that is a lot more intimately involved. You know, gets gets clay under the divine fingernails when making humanity, so to speak, and can be heartbroken and can grieve and can uh, be relatable in some ways. That there, there's a pretty wide spectrum about that. Is God a who or a what? And I would say even within that classic Christianity that you just named, there's a wide spectrum in that too, Um, because you definitely have groups of Christian who very much use the language of they invited Jesus in their heart and Jesus is now like somehow like living within them Mm -hmm. versus like other groups of Christians who are very much like... Mm, yeah, Jesus is God and Jesus is in the Holy Spirit, the, you know, somehow at work in the world. And I might somehow get to experience or notice this, but like, also, I don't see it or notice it a whole lot. So God is somehow at work, but. Eh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we could probably add further that in that pretty broad umbrella of Christianity, it's possible to speak about the the God being a who or being like a person in ways that still keep God pretty austere and um, really different from us and others ways where people talk about God, almost that God is just a big human, you know, um, <laughs> and sometimes, I mean, I think in good ways and bad ways, you know, like sometimes uh, we could talk about God being so other. So, you know, God doesn't have emotions like us. God doesn't, you know, get hungry like us. God doesn't get hangry. God, I mean, that kind of thing. Um, and on the other hand, sometimes we can talk about God in such emotive ways that you wonder, like, well, God is loving yesterday, but is God going to be mean, nasty tomorrow or grumpy, that kind of thing. And somehow there's got to be a tension. I think, I think there's, there are reasons to set boundaries personally about saying, that we can count on God's character to remain constant. That like, it's not like today God is nice and tomorrow's gonna, God's going to be mean if I catch God in a bad mood or something. But on the other hand, you, you, it seems like the, the, the scriptures at least attest to a God who is um, relate, who, who, who is vulnerable in some ways and is able to be heartbroken. And we lose something if we treat God as unable to, empathize to some degree with what it is to be human that that somehow the the christian notion of god always has to keep in mind jesus and jesus means the messiness of humanity and so we we're kind of jumping ahead of ourselves i think a little bit because we've brought in jesus and the holy spirit when we're talking about god yep and we're talking about christianity 101 you know especially for those who may not have a lot of familiarity with christianity um we need to put out there that while we believe in one God, he's in, or God is in three persons. Mm-hmm. And that's something very unique to Christianity. Cause there's a lot of religions out there that believe in multiple gods, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then there's other religions that are monotheistic like ourselves, but yet Judaism does not believe that God is three and one and one and three. Right. You know, Islam does not believe God is three and one and one and three. Right. Um, so that's something very unique to us. And because of, you know, that uniqueness of, you know, the God of the Old Testament, which they only knew as God, as God, the father, and then you have Jesus, the son in the New Testament, then we have this distinction sometimes in Christianity, you know, of like you're saying, Steve, the angry God versus the nice God, 
right? <laughs> there is this uh, scene from a, a, a Simpsons episode I can recall where Homer Simpson has like one of those like um, cheap hologram stickers, you know, that we all used to get where you turn it one way and the picture goes one way and it turned the other way. And like Homer is amusing himself going, angry God, loving God, angry God, loving God. And it's, it's that Michelangelo picture mm-hmm. in the Sistine Chapel zapping versus smiling. Um, and I, I, I think you've raised a really, really good point that um, at some point, Christianity has to talk about how does Jesus affect our understanding of God? And what we're going to have to talk about, the three of us is, if we're doing Christianity 101, is is talking about Jesus and Trinity, is that, oh, no, that's advanced Christianity, or is that pretty essential that that, like, foundationally affects our understanding of who God is? And I I think it's fair to say there have been different... trends or epics or um, uh, pendulum swings in Christianity. There Mm -hmm. have been times in Christianity where people's sort of prevailing opinion was, let's just talk about God. And then once people understand God, then we'll move to talking about this complicated thing called Trinity. And I think in in the 20th century, especially after I think about folks like Karl Barth uh, in in Western Christianity, um, insisted on saying, you can't really talk about Christianity uh, apart from the idea of, of Jesus and God as Trinity, that that's a pretty distinct but fundamental idea of who mm-hmm. God is because it does fundamentally shape a difference about who God is, that we don't just say God is the biggest, most powerful thing you can imagine, and then we tack on Jesus, but that going all the way down to God's heart is a fundamental commitment to be in the world that God has created. And if that's true, then there's something like essential and you can't cut out of Christianity about the the Jesusness of God. Um, that if you want to know what God is like, Christians go, well, Jesus is is uh, the center of of who God is. There's nothing about who God is that that uh, is inconsistent with the character of Jesus in a way that Jesus becomes kind of the lens through which we understand most deeply what God is like. Um, in a way that we don't do with other biblical figures. Um, and I I think I think at least I'm willing to, to go on record saying. Uh, as messy and complicated and frustrating uh, an idea as the Trinity can be sometime, it seems pretty important to say that the God that Christians are talking about is this community of beings, this community of being where there's three persons in one being. Um, and it's, I know it's really easy to slide into something that has been a rule of heresy at some point along the way, but that idea of God existing as relationship and as commitment to the created uh, world, that seems a really, really important thing that isn't just tacked on, like get the basic concept of theism and then add in a dash of Trinity, mm-hmm. but that the Christian notion of God is fundamentally different because it's God as relationship and God as being forever committed to the world and the world that God has made rather than God who can be aloof and walk off like a cosmic clockmaker. Well, and Steve, you said, you know, when we, when we try to explain the Trinity, we, we turn into a lot of heresies. There's <laughs> right. no good way to, to explain it without being heretical in some way, shape, or form. But I think if we tack on Jesus as like a secondary character, yep. a secondary God, then that's also a heresy. Right. Which, in my personal opinion, is more dangerous than some of the heresies of trying to explain the Trinity. Right, right, right. <laughs> so... I, I think it's fundamental to talk about the Trinity as God. Yeah. Um, because I've had conversations with lifelong Lutherans who tried to argue with me that Jesus was not God, mm. but was God's son. And I'm like, mm, okay, no. How about both? <laughs> <laughs> 
But also, I know that Lutherans in particular have a hard time talking about the Holy Spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. Also God. And like in all of this, we haven't really even mentioned. So if we're tacking Jesus on at the end of like, oh, yeah, Jesus is here, part of God, too. And we don't even mention the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Like, it, 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 it's ugh, poor Holy Spirit gets, um, <laughs> gets shortchanged every time. But like it's it's complicated, which is why I think a lot of people don't want to like include it in like mm-hmm. Christianity one one hundred one because it's more like a one hundred two one hundred four. <laughs> right, right. But it's fundamental in like who is God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. God is Trinity. God is three and one, one and three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yeah. it's not like it's like. God the Father is the big all important person, and then 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 there's this Jesus guy, and then oh yeah, don't forget there's the Holy Spirit. Look, no, it's all three of them equally, and there's one. Like oh, it's so it's it's complicated, but it's important to wrestle with. And and I think for me, one of the other reasons why that notion of Trinity is so important to our understanding of God from the outset, not as attacked on, you'll get to that in graduate school theology notion, is that pretty quickly any any uh, faith that talks about a God gets to God is the one who creates. And that leaves us with questions about like, why does this God create? And if we end up with lonely monad God, you end up with sort of, well, God must have made the universe because God was lonely. Um, and if we start with Trinity, then God's not lonely. God is in this complete, perfect relation, and that God isn't like some cosmic cat lady who needs to have 18 cats, you know, to feel needed or something like that. Um, that God isn't like, well, what I really need is somebody to love, and therefore I'll make stuff that's needy that I can permanently keep in this sort of needy role uh, to love me forever. That suggests that God creates out of a lack rather than out of an abundance of God's completely satisfied in God's own existence. And out of the sheer joy and love of that says, Mm -hmm. now I will create other beings that can participate in that, that aren't God, but not that God's, you know, sitting twiddling the divine thumbs on some stoop going, I wish I had a friend. I know I'll make some humans. Um, And I think that from the get go says something important about God as well. Um, Because it, it says from the beginning that, it's, it's not that there's a need on God's part or that God is lonely or that God makes us for some kind of transactional relationship, but that is from the beginning, our, even our mere existence is grace, not that God needs us to do some kind of favor for God. And I think that helps pull us away from that clockmaker idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where God just creates in this, no, God created us because he loves us, not because he needs us but because he loves us and there's so much abundant love within the Trinity that it's spilled out into creation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that as a starting point, like there's a piece of me that wishes looking back that my own faith formation, like maybe this is a little advanced for elementary Sunday school when we mostly do Bible stories. But like when I got to that age, then in our tradition as Lutherans is, is confirmation catechism stuff. Like I kind of wish that there had been that central like emphasis on, we can't talk about God in the abstract. It's always God as Trinity. And here is why. Um, And I, I think 
uh, I, eventually I came around to that awareness, but it feels like some, something good would have happened if, if I, if something better might've happened, if that would have been our starting point. Um, because I, I think there's been certainly parts in my own faith where I kind of wrestled like, yeah, I guess God must've been lonely, right? You know, like, what well, God is, uh, God is this generic big thing. And then we add on Jesus rather than Jesus and the spirits being at the core of who God is, says something essential from the beginning. But how many even professional Christians like ourselves struggle with this idea, you know, personally? So then how do we then explain it to confirmands and kids in the church? How do we explain it to adults in the church? Right. You know, what this means. And so I think sometimes rather than trying to explain it and being fearful of doing so poorly or being heretical, we just avoid the whole subject altogether. And and I, I get that. And I think that we also, in a lot of ways, are burdened by our own denominational traditions. Yeah. Um, that different denominations approach the Trinity in different ways, often by emphasizing one person over the other persons in the Trinity, right? Like you Definitely. have the Pentecostals who tend to lift up the Holy Spirit and like they're very, lack of a better word, Pentecostal, um, you know, like study of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. like that's what they do. And there are other denominations who kind of view or act as if Jesus, this, you know, grace-filled deity has replaced the angry Old Testament God, the Father Mm -hmm. deity. Um, And so like, they're all very much like, uh, I remember being in an undergrad religion class and we were talking about God and you know just general broad terms and i think we were all using the title god because we're trying to avoid gendered language and um one of my classmates said hey why aren't we naming god why aren't we just saying jesus why aren't we talking about jesus and you know it was mostly because we were talking about overarching trinity god not one person within the trinity but you know i think that highlights that there are some christian groups who for them god is jesus mm-hmm. period and so i think we're, we're kind of burdened with those traditions of when we're talking about god that it that are also complicating the issue yeah yeah and th- this this kind of helps i think get at something we're going to wrestle with in this whole series for for good or for ill or both in that while we're attempting to create sort of a Christianity 101, what are the essentials of the faith? Each of us already comes from certain traditions, and that's going to predispose us in some ways to some focus points. And I hope that by having multiple voices around our table, we can help one another be to, to uplift where, yeah, this is how one tradition might say it, this is how another tradition might say it. Um, and there's certainly going to be places of overlap and places where mm-hmm. those traditions help us see things that we might otherwise um, uh, overlook. Um, but we're going to have to, there are going to be places where we may need to go like, well, this is, this is the way I'd say a, a Christianity 101, but it makes sense because I'm a Lutheran or I'm a Methodist or I come from, you know, broadly from Protestantism, which is going to, we're going to have a lot less to say about popes, I expect, than if we had a, a community of, of Roman Catholics. We'll probably be a lot less interested in um, uh, what, whether the, the um, Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son than the, the Orthodox Church, where this was something that was worth, you know, having a fracture uh, with Rome over. Um, but these are, yeah, we, we got to own, we come from traditions as well, and that's going to shape how we even talk about mm-hmm. this too. 
there's there's a, another interesting definition of uh, God that that comes to my mind from um, Robert Jensen's systematic theology. Robert Jensen was a, was a, a Lutheran theologian, but this definition seems like it's it's uh, a helpful uh, at least an idea to kick around from any standpoint. He says God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead, having previously freed Israel from slavery in Egypt before. Um, and that notion of that, that God's identity is marked by choices in history says some interesting that you can't get away from that God is also forever the liberator of the enslaved Israelites. That says something important about the character of God as well. Um, that again sort of gives a marker that okay Christians are willing to say Jesus is an important part of defining who God is but also we can't skip over that the story of Israel isn't again also just sort of a well that gets tacked on later but that the character of God is bound up with liberation rather than oppression and about the particular promises made to a particular group of people in history and as scandalous as it might be to say the maker of all the universe cared about you know one particular family line enough to free their descendants from slavery, Jensen says that's an important piece about God that sort of leaves permanent marks on God too. I, I really like that, partly because that's how God has defined God in the old te- throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. Like, you know, I am the one who liberated you, who took you out of slavery. Um, similarly, I would also say God is the one who is in relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, in the sense that God has also defined God's self as I am the God of Jacob and of Isaac and of Abraham, you know, naming those people whom God has made covenants with, um, you know, made that promise of I am your God, you are my people, and we are in it together. Um, You know, so God is the one who liberates. And, you know, in the sense, also raises Jesus from the dead. I think Mm -hmm. that's a type of liberation. Mm -hmm. Um, But also God is the one who is in relationship. Yeah. And I I guess what I want to suggest that all these descriptions get at is that even though I I think the Christian claim is that God is, you know, universal and and fills even more than all the cosmos, there's a certain um, trajectory or character to what God is like. Um, that is, I, I think there's some parts of who God is that we can say are like not subject to change, that, that whatever, whatever justice ends up meaning, God is about justice rather than, you know, uh, self-centeredness or um, cruelty. God is about love as opposed to uh, indifference or apathy or, or hatred, that God is about good rather than evil. Again, that, that's, at some point that becomes circular because then we have to ask, what does good mean? What does justice mean? Um, but that there's a, a, just like, just like any one of us has a certain personality and pretty much we operate out of that personality that part of, part of being a who rather than a what is that there, there are maybe marks of character you could say in who God is. And while a human character might change over time and I might be a real big jerk when I was a kid and hopefully I'm less of a jerk now, or I might become more self, that kind of thing. That part of what it is to say we believe in God is that this God isn't just power on the cosmic scale, but this, this God has a certain investment in liberation rather than enslavement or life rather than death, or, you know, maybe, um, beautiful order rather than chaos or something like that and relationship over isolation too 
maybe in a way like it's it's worth um thinking about how would we answer the question who is and then put another important person in your life you know who is you know tell me about your your mother your best friend your whatever we might give a name but then pretty quickly we'd start describing events in which they revealed who they were to us you know you might tell the story of the time you met your best friend the time they showed up for you you know um uh, or, you know, when you ask a kid, you know, uh, tell me about uh, how would I know who your mother or your father or something like, well, it's the person who takes care of me, the person who tucks me in at night, the person who gives me clothes and food and things like that. that these are relational markers and they're, they say something about who that person is, not just the person who has the power over me to tell me to go to bed, but that there are, there are relational episodes that help us define who those other people in our lives are, that it seems like a, a description of God in similar terms kind of makes sense. So have we solved it? Have we figured out who God is? <laughs> well, I oh. think we, I think we made a valiant effort. <laughs> There's something that I think we've kind of have skimmed over or at least touched upon, but haven't really completely delved into is the fact is God created or God eternal? Ah, okay. Yeah. 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 That, that seems especially interesting to me in light of, I am, uh, um, uh, late to the party in watching, um, the TV show, Star Trek Discovery. Um, uh, and, and that TV show, there's this question, they, they raise that old, um, line from Arthur C. Clarke that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. But like, if you had like super, super advanced technology, practically speaking it's the same as magic and, and then one character goes well similarly maybe any sufficiently advanced alien species is indistinguishable from god if you were talking about you know a planet where people ha- and, and that begs the question like if you lived on a planet and were visited by super advanced aliens you would call them your gods and yet those would be created you know beings right so are are christians committed to the idea that god is uncreated um, or are we, oh, is there any wiggle room for maybe God is just like a super powerful alien or, or is that, nope, that's right out. How, how do we even venture that, that kind of a conversation? Isn't that the part of the plot of the first Thor movie? Well, yeah, kind of like the, the, in the, yeah. in the Marvel movies. Yeah. These pick, these people who became part of Norse mythology, Odin and Thor and Loki and all them and reviewed as gods and turn out just to be yeah, uh, aliens from really another scientific realm. Scientific aliens. Uh, their science was just way too big for us to comprehend. Right, right, um, right. So I guess that that I think that that's worth asking. Now, I, I think classically Christianity has kind of insisted on God is uncreated, and part of that was a way of saying God doesn't change the way you know human beings have a beginning and an end point. And I guess it's fair to say to uh, without busting out too much of the ancient theologians or uh, creeds, uh, one of the really, really important lines from the um, the era of uh, the Council of Nicaea, a guy named Athanasius, I think we might have talked about him before, but one of his lines against the, the, the teachings of Arius was, there was not a time when Jesus, the word, the second person of the Trinity was not. So like mm-hmm. he's invested in Jesus is eternal because there's not a time when he wasn't. And similarly, therefore, it has to be that God, there's that God has always been eternal and not just immortal, but like beyond time as well. I think that's a piece we have to, to wrestle with too, that it's not just that God is really, really, really old. You know, again, that's, I think the Sistine Chapel mistake is picturing God as just an old person, but that God exists outside of time. So that in a sense, 
there's a way in which God is eternally young too, that maybe sort of blows our minds too. We're used to thinking of God just being from a very, very long time ago, but maybe that God exists outside of our conception of linear time. One of my uh, undergrad professors explained, the way he explained it to us is that God, if, if time is a thing that was created, then it was part of the thing that God created, right? Because yes. God creates everything. So if God created time, then God is outside of time, that God is not affected by time because God is from, lack of a better way to say it, God is before time existed. So mm -hmm. God therefore is not affected by this thing that God has created, which is time. Um, and I think in particular, if we fully believe that Jesus is part of the Trinity is, is God, then it's not like Jesus started being in existence around year zero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That Jesus, because God is not affected by time. Yeah. Yeah. And the same with the spirit, you know, the spirit right. being God as well. And that's, that's one of those things. Classic Christianity has always said the Trinity has been co-eternal. Right. Um, it's, it's not like there's God 1.0. that's just sort of like single person God. And then mm -hmm. God's like, all right, now I'm going to spin off a, uh, a sequel. It'll be Jesus. And then, oh, at some point, oh, we're going to need another one. It'll be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But that, yeah. And again, we, our, our language fails when we talk about before the beginning. But yeah, that outside of time, God's existence has always been this kind of relationship of the three persons. That that seems an important idea too. And And in my mind, it echoes the the way to go back to the exodus story you know that that line where uh moses meets the burning bush and mm -hmm. god speaks and god's answer for who are you you know which god are you you know are you the the god of the sun or the moon or the nile river you know whatever and god's answer is both relational i'm the god of abraham isaac and jacob and then god says i am who i am and the the hebrew if i remember has a certain fluidity that it could be i will be who i will be i like the, it's this ongoing verb but it's mm -hmm. not it's not completed past tense you know uh rooted in i was this but that god is always that i am i am being um which means that god's existence is always outside of the the bounds of our understanding of time almost like um in the 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 book flatland where edwin abbott imagines two-dimensional beings having to be plucked out of a plane on a flat piece of paper and discover a world in three dimensions, that time is kind of like that too, that we can't help but think in terms of before and after and during, and God can somehow be present to all things all at once, and we experience it in linear time. All right, so as a, as a place to, to, to tack things down until next time, a rough description of who is God, God is a who rather than a what, so personal rather than an it, um, a community of being rather than a lonely bearded fellow at the bus stop. Apologies to Joan Osborne in the song, What If God Was One of Us? Not lonely, but always in, in existence and relationship outside of time. And yet also marked particularly to whoever raised Jesus from the dead and whoever uh, is, is bound up in the story of Israel, freeing Israel from slavery. Are there other working definition pieces we're missing? Probably. 
<laughs> because I don't think that we can fully capture who God is in 30 minutes. Excellent um, point. You know, we could talk about God is love. God is present. Like, yeah. there's a whole bunch of stuff that I think we could and maybe should have talked about. But um, we are also only three three people and we have limited <laughs> language and yep you know i think we could spend lifetimes trying to define mm-hmm. who god is and never fully capture who god is i think you've raised something really really important which is not just hey tune in next time because we're going to talk some more but that the goal of the christian faith isn't just to master a set of knowledge like there mm-hmm. are other things in life that you can um, memorize and know all you, you can memorize all the presidents you can memorize all the elements on the periodic table or states and their capitals and then you've got them all we're not adding more you know that kind of thing but that when you're talking about relationship it's never done because as we continue in a relationship there's always further up and further in like c.s lewis talks about um and that means that our attempt to describe a christianity 101 isn't here's the things you have to memorize so you can get to heaven but Here's a place to get a foothold in that relationship. Um, and that means it's always open-ended. Not that there's a finally a point where we say, Fine, and that's the last thing you need to know. Um, and maybe that, that sets the table for where we'll go next time as we talk about what do we think faith is? And is it merely a matter of memorizing facts about God or relationship or somehow all the above? So if that's where we're headed, then um, thanks for joining us here this time on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. All right, bye.